morning, church. Yes. Let's get to our seats. Yeah. We could get everybody back in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited today because uh, it's the World Cup final, right? <laughs> World Cup final. Ah, yeah. Almost all the world is watching. And uh, there's good news. And uh, so it's bad news too. Good news for those who are who are supporting, who are supporting Dash. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and bad news for those who are supporting Dash. <laughs> okay, so it all depends on who you're rooting for, right? Winner or loser. Um, for the winner, it's joy. For the loser, it's like discouragement. And that's what I'm talking about, going to be talking about today, joy and discouragement. And uh, let us read from uh, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to uh, 20. If you can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 20. And, uh, and it won't be on screen, okay, so listen. <laughs> and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth among those with whom he is ple uh, pleased. Peace. And when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds, glorifying and praising God for all that they uh, returned, glorifying and praising God for all that heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let us pray. Father God, as we uh, listen into your word in Luke chapter 2, help us to comprehend, help us to get a Get a sense, get a taste of what it means to, to be in your joy. But we know we live in a world of discouragement as well. And so we, we cling to you. We ask for your word to speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing on the Advent theme, theme uh, of Hello, Jesus. Hello, Jesus. And uh, today, as, we, as I've mentioned, we're going to look at Joy versus discouragement. Joy versus discouragement. 
So I invite you to come and experience uh, this morning as we focus in on joy, as we have heard from uh, Luke chapter 2, joy of good news of great joy, joy, great joy. And the famous response to that joyous news was Gloria in Excelsis Deo. In contrast to the discouraging world uh, we find ourselves in. So as I've said just now, we, are, we know that uh, there's joy for dash or joy or discouragement for dash, right? In a, in a World Cup final. So who are you cheering for? In, a, in the same way, when you look at Luke chapter 2, uh, there is... Uh, a story there that you might find, hey, there are some themes of joy and discouragement as well. In Luke chapter 2, if you read Luke chapter 2, oh, France or Argentina? Yeah. Oh, where is this? Okay. Oh, can I go back? Go back to the France and Argentina? Bottom. Bottom oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very. Okay. Yeah, France or Argentina. Talk about world domination, real football, right? In world football. Anyhow, in the same region, it says here, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, right at the top of that text that we just read in Luke chapter 2, in the same region, there was world domination as well. I don't know if you know about that region. It was a region that was dominated by Rome, and it's a region that had stadiums as well, but they're not watching soccer, right? They're not watching football here. They're watching some really bloody stuff, really gory stuff. So there was the stadiums that were built, and, uh, and the reason why the Romans built the stadiums was, was to instill actually not only uh, entertainment, but to instill fear and, and domination. They, they wanted to uh, get all the, all, all the people to, to, to know that who, who, who really is in power here. And uh, we're going to send all the slaves, all, the, uh, all those people who are, who are against Rome into the Colosseum or into the stadiums. And, and they're going to be slaughtered and killed for entertainment. Right? And so the world domination is also seen in the way that they do their, their uh, government. They would tell people, don't rebel. You rebel, you, you get what? Crucifixions. And the crucifixions are supposed to be over-the-top, right? Over-the-top violent, over-the-top brutal, over-the-top bloody, over-the-top fearful. The, the reason is because they want to make sure that everybody is just like sniveling cowards when it comes to facing Rome. They don't want people to feel like they can just stand up to Rome. So as a result of that, in that same region, there was a lot of discouragement. There was a lot of discouragement. And it was Rome, the champion of the world, versus all the rest of the world. So in that same region. So that same region, we read right from Luke chapter 2, verse 1 and 3. Uh, three. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to, that all the world should be registered. So you can see where Luke is going, right? This is Caesar Augustus. The first emperor of Rome, the, uh, the, the top, top guy and from Rome. And he is saying, everybody should go, all the world, all the world. I'm the dominating Roman Empire. He is the first ever Roman emperor, uh, emperor right? He, and he is trying to 
assert his dominance and rule and, and authority over the region. So all the world, and that means all the rest of the world that he has conquered, all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Cuneus was governor of Syria. And they all went. Everybody had to comply, uh, each to his own town. Everybody. If you don't comply, what happens? You probably be crucified. And we know that in, as we read in history, there will be in the highways and the roads of Rome, Roman Empire, they are filled with crucifixions. And they were all, anybody who's going against Rome will be put on that cross. If you go against Rome, so that's why everybody went. <laughs> no matter who you are, you went to your own town. All the world went to be registered. And guess who has to go? Joseph, right? Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was off the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, think about this. How, how many of you, of you here know how far Nazareth is from Bethlehem? Approximately, how, what the distance is between Nazareth and Bethlehem? Anybody can guess? Yeah. Yeah, it will be for us 150 kilometers if you go on a straight line. <laughs> 150 kilometers. Imagine those days, there, there were no Uber, you know, like there was no public transportation, there was no flights you can book on. You were, you're going to have to do what? Walk all the way, 150 kilometers. Can you imagine what it was like? To walk in the desert and to walk with a pregnant woman beside you, Joseph. You know, like, how, what kind of speed that was? I, you know, it took, I, and I, I just Googled, how long does it take for, like, a, an ordinary person to walk from, uh, walk 150 kilometers? And apparently, it, it would take close to 24 hours to walk if you go without stopping, right? Just walk at five kilometers an hour pace. Five kilometers an hour. Now, Mary is going to be a lot slower than that. <laughs> you know, she was just about to park, right? So it's, it's, it's going to be a lot slower. Can you imagine the, uh, how many bathroom stops that, <laughs> that Mary would have to make, right? Because she's like... the. The baby's there and it's pressing on the bladder, right? So it's, it's, it's going to be tough, tough sledding here. So 150 kilometers, and for us, hey, no sweat. I've done 150 kilometers. You know, it's just only two-hour drive. But for them, it's 24 hours, 24 hours. And I Googled how many steps it, take, it would take to uh, do uh, 150 kilometers. It was close to 20,000 steps. No, 200,000, sorry, <laughs> not 20,000, 200,000 steps. And you know what? I try, I try to do 10,000 10, steps a day, I try. You know, not always succeed, but I try. And uh, according to the math, it would take me how many days? About 20-something days, right? 20-something days to finish, to finish the, uh, the uh, 150 kilometers. So that's a long ways. Can you imagine how discouraged that couple is? Rome is forcing us. Rome is forcing us to make the trips. 
If we don't go, we're going to be on a, on a cross. Rome is forcing us to go 150 kilometers. And not only that, I think about the journey. Think about in those days when you walk that road from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It is not an easy road. It's filled with highway robbers and, and uh, it's not safe. In fact, from what I read, people in those days do not travel a lot. Travel is not a big industry. Travel is really only for those uh, people on the caravans, you know, putting the goods and uh, trading and all that, but it is not for ordinary people. People tend to stay where they were born and, uh, and die there as well. Those were the days. They don't, they, don't, they don't travel two hours. They just stay within their little village. And because of that, can you imagine the, the amount of stress, the amount of anguish that this couple had to go through? And they had probably had to walk by themselves because Mary was in no shape to walk with the, uh, the caravans. She was probably in a, in a place where Oh, I gotta rest. I gotta. This, this is heavy. Yeah, I gotta rest. I can imagine the amount of discouragement. I can Im just imagine the amount of of the weight of the world is on on her shoulders. Is that how how can this be? I thought I was, you know, the one with favored <laughs> of all women, and then here he is, she is, and 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 Joseph trudging through the desert, and all because of crazy Rome. So to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, right? In verse 5, who was with child. And I think that Luke tells us that he, this is only his betrothed. Has a, at least in the, in, the, in the original language, has a sense that this marriage is, was not consummated yet. This, this is just betrothed. And I get a sense that when Luke introduced us that language is to help us understand that perhaps, perhaps the journey that they made was so, was so heart-wrenching because they're going back to a place where perhaps the hometown, where all the rumors, where all the, the uh, paparazzi of the day, they would be saying, oh, isn't she supposed to be married? And then what? Uh, not married yet, and now she's having a child. You know, like what is? I'm I'm thinking. I'm guessing here. I'm just thinking, making an educated guess that the reason why Joseph went away at, from the town of David, from Bethlehem, his hometown, and go to Nazareth was to be like Harry and Meghan, yeah, to escape all the rumors, to escape all the backbiting, to escape all the, all the shame, all the, uh, all the anguish of being in, in a place where, where, where everybody is looking at you. Ooh, ooh, this is Mary. Isn't she supposed to be married? Why is she having a kid right now? And I'm sure that all the, all the family that they were there with them, they were all probably saying, stay away. Stay away from us. We don't want to carry your 
your, your legacy of shame. And they, are, they were probably disgusted with, with Mary. And as a result, I was, and I was thinking also, if you know the story, why, why, didn't, why didn't the relatives? I'm sure there must be at least a dis- distant cousin who would be there to help them, right? During that uh, the time where she was about to give birth. But you don't hear it in the scripture. You don't hear about that. So while they were there, in verse 6, the time came for her to give birth. But no relatives. <laughs> you know, nobody around. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Why couldn't they stay with some relatives? Um, they must be like distant cousin Zachariah or whatever it is. You know, like, they must be there somewhere in that hometown, right? In the hometown. And nobody, nobody stepped up to help them. Probably because of all the shame that, was, that they had to carry, Mary and Joseph. Talk about discouragement, right? Here you are, should be a happy time having you know, giving birth to the firstborn son. And, uh, and it's a real downer. And it was so down that, you know, they have to make a bed out of a feeding trough, a manger. This is down. And because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, most of you would say, oh, yeah, all well, that heartless innkeeper. In- keeper, right? Oh, he just didn't want to have them in, in there. But actually, remember how slow they were? <laughs> you know, like getting to from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You know how, how terrible that, that journey is? How, much, how many stops they have to make? I can also imagine how, how dirty and disgusting they, 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 they could be, right? And that journey they were so too slow to get to Bethlehem in time for them to get a place in the inn. Everybody was going to their hometown, right? And there was no place for them. First come, first serve. In those days, you know, you just you know, can't go on Expedia.com there, right? There's no way you can do that. And so there's no place for them. It's not because there's a heartless innkeeper in uh, that, that, that was there. There was this... There were no hotel chains. There was probably only one or two inns in the whole town, in, in the little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, there's only a few, maybe at most three, I would say, inns that were there. And they were all filled. First come, first serve. No. Nightmarish. It was nightmarish. Nightmarish journey. Okay. And the story goes. And there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the shepherds, I like the way Luke tells us about, uh, includes the story of the shepherds. The shepherds out there in the field. And that tells me something about uh, who they are. They were people who did the night shift, right? Flock by night. Why are they doing the night shift? Because they can't get a day job. And as a result of that, what kind of people who can't get a day job? Probably people who are not educated or, you know, who are more, more or less the outcast of society. So as a result of that, they were out in the field watching, 
at night. That tells me also a lot of things about uh, who they are. They, they are probably people who are, who are very rough and, uh, and, and, and no self-respecting uh, persons would, would want a job like that. So they were rough people uh, keeping watch over the flock by night. It tells me also the fact that they are, they are people who are pretty, must, must be pretty seasoned people. I mean, they must be pretty, pretty rough and tough guys. Because why? They will have to face hungry wolves at night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whoa. Yeah. Have you ever faced a hungry wolf at night? Have you ever faced like hungry predators? And not only that, they would have to face robbers. They would have to face uh, sheep rustlers, right? They would have to face all those things. It's dangerous, dangerous job. And I'm sure they are, they are, they are really rough, tough, can face any danger kind of people. Then verse 9 tells us what? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord around them, shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, in the original language, filled with great fear was an was a idiom that's, uh, that was used in those days that, that tells us in our modern language, you know, pee in a pants moment kind of thing. You know, this is, this is, this is seasoned people who are, who are people who can face up with rustlers and, and, uh, and all the, uh, the danger regarding hungry wolves and other kinds of predators at night when they're, where they're, where they're they, you know, they, they don't have the things that, that we have these days where you can look at your smartphone with a drone and then watch from the safety of your home and say, oh, okay, I'm watching my flock by night. No, this, this is dangerous stuff. You can't even just jump into your, your, your nice Humvee and, and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I, I can just run them over with my Humvee. No, this, they have nothing except themselves and maybe sticks and stones. Yeah. And they were filled with great fear. It tells me that these are folks who are really shaking in their boots right now. As the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of God just shone around them. We were filled with great fear. Again, the text reminds us, this is the same region where the Romans are in power. This is the same region where, where, where Mary and Joseph make a terrible journey, nightmarish journey. And this is a place, the same region in which there were shepherds right now in fear, filled with great fear, filled with great fear. Talk about discouragement discouragement. So here are folks who are, not, who are not at all in a happy place. These shepherds were not in, in some hobbit village, you know, smoking a pipe and saying, ah, I'm thinking about my second breakfast. No, they are, they are thinking of right now, feeling great fear. Things actually went bump that night. As the angel appeared in front of them, Luke records to, for us their reaction. And the angel said to them, fear not, addressing their greatest need at that time. Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is where the story turns. All the discouragement that was in, in the text this morning, we hear suddenly good news of great joy. Fear not, good news of great joy. Where in a place where the shepherds are saying, they don't pay me enough for this. They're saying, the angels are saying, fear not, fear not. Here is the announcement of good news, of great joy. In those days, the word good news, I don't know if you know this, but from what I read, commentators in the Bible, commentators are saying that the word good news, evangelion, had the sense of, of uh, going back to the roots of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy of good news. Good news of great joy. It has a sense of saying, that uh, God, is, God is here. All the ancient prophecies are coming true. But you have to also note when the first century readers, when they, the original readers of Luke chapter 2, when they read that, good news wasn't good news. Why is that so? Because in the first century years, when they hear good news, they're, they're, they're hearing it from their culture. And in their culture, it says this, the Romans are still in power. <laughs> Why? Because good news in those days was a public service announcement from the Romans. Every time they hear Evangelion, every time they hear the good news, it's about the Romans just won a great battle. Hear ya! People, listen! The Romans are still in power. Here is the good news. We just won a smashing victory over whoever we dominated. We are still the world champions. We are the champions, right? And, and they go around saying, this is the good news. It was, the good news was was filled with messages of boast, uh, boastful messages and, 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 and a sense of, you guys, we dominate you. We are the boss. So it was not good news. Another sense of why this, this, this is not good news is because in those days, when they hear good news, the word good news, it also means Again, public service announcement could be something like, hey, here is, we got good news. It's Caesar's birthday. <laughs> yeah, good news, Caesar's birthday. Again, it's all about Roman domination. Who is the boss? Who are the bullies? Who's in power? Boastful conquest. It's a reminder of subjugation, a reminder of the power and splendor of Rome. So when Luke writes, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. He's borrowing from the tradition of Isaiah. It's not from the tradition of what they were used to hear, to hear, to hearing. It's a new reality, a new sense of there is a new sheriff in town. There's a new boss in town. And his name is Jesus. 
This day, the word this day, for unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, that word for today, this day, has a sense in the Greek of there is a new direction. There is a new dawning of a new era of messianic salvation. It is the fulfillment of the plan of God. And when the gospel of great joy, this good news of great joy is written by Luke in this way, it has a sense of this is nothing short, as one commentator would say, nothing short of a declaration of war. There's a new boss in town, this Jesus. And, and, and not only is he not the Roman emperor, but this is the good news. He, has, he, he is here, and he is going to win a great victory, a smashing victory. And the imagery of war is continued here. This is the good news. Isaiah 52. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of one who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news, happiness, who announces salvation. This is, this is Israel saying to Zion, this is it. Your God reigns. Your God reigns. This is the good news. Not Roman Empire. Not Roman Emperor. Not the Romans. Not those crazy guys who nailed people on the cross. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm. He is the one who is the strong one. In sight of all the nations. And this is where Luke gets really, really excited, I think. It's because Luke is a Gentile, right? Luke was the, is the only scripture, uh, only gospel writer who is a Gentile. And he writes this, and he knows this. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all nations. That means every ethnic group there is, which includes him as a Gentile. So all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of God. This is where Luke gets really excited. And that's why he mentions this good news. It is good news for all the people. So Luke tells us this, all the seemingly sad, horrifying, anxiety-filled, stress-filled region in which Luke chapter 2 is part of. And in that region where Mary and Joseph struggled, in that region where there is a, a sense of doom over the whole area where the Romans were in power, the good news of the new king has come. I trust that we will hear today the good news of great joy in our own discouraging times. I like the way scripture mentions that there is struggle. Look at, look at that terrible journey. Look at all the shame that the cup, that, that couple went through. Look at all the discouraging things that happened. And I trust that we hear today the good news of great joy. 
And I love the fact that Scripture does not say, just say, hey, they, they had it easy. You know, Mary and Joseph, 150 kilometers. I mean, they can cover that in two hours, right, in our cars. But no. They tell us the journey. They tell us that they were all alone. It tells us that they were all struggling. And I trust that you hear the affirmation that even if we all struggle today, it's okay. God knows. God hears our pain. God hears our struggle. God hears when we, when we fall down. And God hears us when we cry out to Him and say, why? I don't know. I don't know why. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were asking those questions. Why? Why? I, am I not supposed to be the favorite one? Am I, what happened? Why am I in this terrible journey? Why am I in this nightmare? And I'm sure this shepherd came around with this good news of great joy. That was the, the story, the, the, uh, the story of how Rome will finally be smashed. The, the good news of great joy is, is the gospel's public announcement. Public on a PA. Public announcement that this day, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you know the background of, of uh, Rome, you would know that Augustus Caesar also has the title of Savior, also has the title of the Lord. And why is that so? Because his, his adopted father, Julius Caesar, was seen as, as a God. He was declared a God by the Roman Senate. And so when they say, Caesar Augustus here has those titles, and here suddenly comes, born to you this day, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke is actually saying, what? Here is the one who would rival Rome. There's going to be a smashing victory. But it's not going to be a... a Something that looks like power of Rome. In fact, it will look like this. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a mate. Very humble. Very humble. And very little. <laughs> baby born in a manger. Very humble. So today, as we take a look at all this that the Scripture is saying to us, we need to remember here is a king. He's going to win a smashing victory. And the story does not end in the manger, right? We know that the story goes on. And the story is Jesus was later on crucified and raised from the dead. And that was the smashing victory. Smashing victory. But this is the momentous moment in which he came. Humble. Not like the Roman emperors who came in there flowing robes instead of swaddling clothes. 
not like in the way that they had their beds that are probably made of memory foam. But here is one who is lying in a manger. Lying in a manger. Where animals feed. Can you imagine what it's like to be for, for Mary and Joseph in a place where they were all, you know, lying, baby lying in a manger. How, how terrible that would have been, right? They have to make do. Make do. They had to be in a place where they're, they, let's, let's wrap it up in some, some cloths. So it's not a long, flowing, beautiful robe lying in a manger. And if you have been to a barn lately, you will know what it feels like. It is not, you know, doesn't smell good. Does not smell good. And here is Jesus in a humble, very humble manner. He came. So as Luke tells the story of this seemingly sad events, seen in that region of some shepherds, seen in the story of Mary and Joseph, seen... In, the, in the, everything that looks so bad and so hopeless, the good news of great joy comes around. And it came through some shepherds with some angels telling them about it. I hope and trust that we will see God working behind the scenes through our set of disappointments, through our own sense of what is so negative and so distressing in our world. I'm sure some of you are saying, how come my prayers are not answered? I'm sure Mary and Joseph were sending tons of prayers. Why? What's happening? Are you not glad that God allows us a little peek into the struggle, into the pain, into the discouragement of Mary and Joseph? But you know what? He sent some shepherds. <laughs> Good news of great joy. Some shepherds to tell the story of how they heard from the angels. And suddenly there was an angel uh, with, again, that imagery of militaristic power, multitude. When it, this is like a battalion of, of angels. Multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. Again, smashing victory. The whole imagery that's given here by Luke. So when the angels went away into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see these things that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph's baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all of them wondered, all of them who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the joyous good news is treasured up by, by Mary. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. Today, I trust that we too will ponder in our hearts like Mary Treasure up all the things that we've heard. Treasure it up knowing that this is something, a good news of great joy that can help us through our most distressing times. 
and that we will hear the shepherds as well, that they would sing the, 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 the songs, they would praise God, they would glorify God for all they've heard and seen as it had been told them. Today, I trust that we would hear uh, that breakthrough is coming. Today, I trust that we would hear that the sovereign God, the one who is over Caesar's, Caesar's decree, that there is victory that's coming. And it's, it's ours through faith in Christ, our Savior, Christ the Lord. I trust that we will hear and sing again because there was a song that was sung to Mary and Joseph in their dis- most distressed moment when they were filled with so much stress. I can imagine, you know, your firstborn child being born. You know how, how distressing that is, especially in those days with no, with no hospital help, nothing at all, no doctors. And here they are. I remember the time, the first time I, I, I became a, a parent. And uh, when, when Mike was born, I fainted. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just, boom, went down. <laughs> and uh, and I, just, I just wanna think, I just wanna imagine what it would have been like for Mary and Joseph you know, they were rookies, right? Rookies at parenting, rookies at all these things. And they're so distressed and so filled with anxiety. And here comes God knowing their situation. Say to them, this message from the angels, fear not. I trust you hear God's fear not today. I trust that you hear the gospel, the good news of great joy. I trust you hear it when we are demoralized, when you're forced on a long march like Mary and Joseph, and you feel discouraged and bullied, and all I can think of is Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, were all great candidates for people who would be long forgotten by history, and yet here today we are learning still about them. I trust that we would hear God is saying to us good news of great joy. I trust that we would hear that the power of Rome and all those who have, who have bullied us will just become pages in history while the church still stands. I trust we will hear the crucified Christ is now reigning over us. I trust that you would hear the gospel of great news of great joy that God, your God, reigns. I trust that we will not be blown out by all the trouble that we've seen and heard, but we will know that God is in charge, not Rome or the bullies. Let us pray. Father, as we continue to meditate on a, on a gospel, on the good news of great joy. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with, your, with the fear knots that we need to hear in, in our distressing times, in our discouragement. Help us to hear, um, even though times might be rough, we know that uh, our economy is just being devastated with inflation and all kinds of stuff that's happening. Mortgage rates are going through the roof and all kinds of challenges that are up ahead of us, and even as we think about the months ahead. But I trust that we're here today that uh, 
your, your message to us, to fear not, to cling to you, and trust that you will hear that, uh, that Rome can be defeated. And I trust that we will hear that, that you have a, an, an angel army backing us as well. So be with us as we think through this story, as we meditate on it. In Jesus' name, amen.